want to dive in today to our next installment of our Supernatural series. And before I do, you know, I was, as I was thinking of today's message, I was reminded of, uh, I played high school basketball. In my senior year, we got a brand new coach. And that coach, when he came in, he sort of did an assessment of our team. And he said, I, I think your skill level, you're good enough to hang with a lot of the teams in the league. He said, but the thing that will differentiate us, and this was his focus the entire year, he said is that he wanted us to run a full court press defense and a, and a fast break offense. And he said, I want you to be conditioned enough to run our defense and offense all the way through the end of the game. He said, most teams lose in the fourth quarter because they're not conditioned well enough. And sure enough, he was right. In fact, the way he structured our practices, he would have us do sprints at the top of practice, sprints in the middle of practice, and sprints at the end of practice. Um, I, I did so much running in high school, I haven't run since. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I got scarred. Um, but his tactic worked. We were the best conditioned team. And we beat every team all the way to the finals. And then you realize you can't out-condition height in basketball because the other team were like 6'6", six, six, and we were like 6'2 and under. So uh, they beat us. But we were like a eh team. We made it to the state finals because we could last. And here's my hope as your pastor is that I want you to live a life where you have the faith that we're in this series Supernatural. If you're new to Catalyst, we teach in series and we're talking about the fact that we serve a supernatural God and we have access to his supernatural power. In fact, I'll say this. We see culturally there's a fascination with the supernatural. We see it in the movies, don't we? And can I tell you this? The reason we are fascinated and drawn to it is because you were made in the image of a supernatural God. That your, your thirst and hunger for the supernatural is supposed to not be satisfied by the Avengers, come on somebody, but by your relationship with God. That you can actually experience miracles. And we're talking in this series, and today specifically I want to talk about how do you not just experience a moment of the miraculous or even a season of the miraculous, but here's my hope as your pastor. This is a lifetime that the five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, that you're living a life where you're experiencing the supernatural power of God. So I want to talk from that lens today. And before we dive into the scripture, let's pray. Father, we just thank you as we open up your holy word today. Father, we just, we know you desire to speak to us, that you are speaking. And we just confess in our minds and our hearts today that we are listening. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mark 2, if you have your Bibles today, will be in Mark 2. We're going to look in verse 1, read 12 scriptures, and, uh, and then we'll sort of unpack it. So first is, uh, verse 1, it says, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum. It said again because at this time, during his ministry, Capernaum was Jesus' ministry headquarters. It was his home at this time. So they come back to Capernaum. The people heard he had come home. In fact, this story, it's debated. It was either believed to be in the home of Jesus or the home of Peter, of course, his disciple. 
It says, they gathered in such large numbers, there were no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by the four of them. But said that since they could not get to him, uh, to Jesus, because of the crowd and because they came to church late. Some of you a little bit. You just got to come to church on time. Hey, you're here. You're here. Um, no, they, 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 came to, they came to the crowd. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, just a side note, our faith should be visible to people. He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Of course, these religious leaders did not believe Jesus was the son of God because they're saying he's, he's being blasphemous here. But immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier for me to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, to get up, take up your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying we've never seen anything like this. I'm going to give you from the start kind of my sermon in a sentence today. And that is, in order for us to have a life of miracles, we must live a life that involves an uncomfortable faith. An uncomfortable faith. I want to give you three thoughts in this passage, and then we'll pray. Here's point number one. And uh, these are kind of three characteristics we see amongst these men that really speak to, I think, what we should take hold of so we can experience a life of miracles. And the first point is this, is we need to have faith-filled friends who fuel our faith. We need to have faith-filled friends who fuel our faith faith. These men, the the Bible says that Jesus saw their faith, plural, that these men, they could see that these men had faith, that that Jesus could heal this paralyzed man, their, their friends. You know, as I mentioned earlier, we have a saying here at Catalyst that we are better together. We believe this life of faith is lived better together. Now, I was reminded of the importance and value of together. I was reflecting this week when Christina and I moved up to the D.C. area from Virginia Beach. Now, 2011, so 12 years ago. And it was the last time I moved by myself or I moved myself. It was in the middle of July, which I don't recommend moving in July. And we packed a U-Haul. Soaked in sweat, back hurting, and then, come on, we had to drive a U-Haul on 95. And how many of you know there's something wrong about 95 between Richmond and D.C.? Come on, somebody, right? Anybody anybody else knows there's always traffic? It's like, you know, 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. Like, what, where, where, where are you going? You know, it's like 3 a.m. on a Saturday. What in the world? You know, it's like always people. 
So we, we, we got up here, and as I mentioned, the last time, because after that day, I said, I will forever, in the course of our marriage, Christina, hire movers. And I have learned the beauty of movers. Now I'm not hot. I supervise from the air conditioning home. Get that over there. Put that there, right? Come on. It's beautiful. My back doesn't hurt anymore. I don't sweat. Moving is better together. And listen, this life of faith was designed that you would live it better together. Can I tell you? You know, you may have heard people say this, you know. People say, oh, it's just me and Jesus. And that sounds cute. It's just biblically inaccurate. <laughs> because Jesus designed that you would have other people. Let me take it a step further. Being together is more than sitting on a row with somebody else. Here's what I mean. Yes, this is important, what you're doing. And you should gather together. But you need to have somebody in your life you're inviting into your life. That you're opening up your heart. That you're taking off your mask as we spoke of last year. That you're inviting them into your life. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 18, 19. If two of you agree on earth concerning anything, my Father in heaven will do it for you. So Jesus said this, that actually having faith-filled friends adds an exponential factor to your faith. Jesus said there's something about when you invite somebody else in to pray for healing in your marriage. When you invite somebody else in to pray for that situation at work. When you invite somebody else in to pray for what's going on with your child at school. There's an exponential factor. So here's my encouragement to some of you. Is do not go through this faith journey alone. Do not, do not believe God for healing alone. Do not try to battle that addiction alone. Do not believe God for a miracle in your marriage alone. In fact, I'll say this. Friends can do for us what at times we can't do for ourselves. In fact, as I did study of this passage, most scholars presume this man who was paralyzed on the mat actually didn't have the faith his friends did. And can I tell you, if you haven't experienced this, you will. There will be some days you will be so fatigued by life, you may lack faith. What do the disciples say? Jesus, I want to believe, but help my unbelief. If the disciples who walked with Jesus struggled in faith, don't be surprised when you struggle with faith. Therefore, you need someone to come alongside you who say, hey, you may not have faith, but I have faith for you. You may not have the words to pray, but I'm going to pray with you. You may not have a word from God right now while you're struggling at work, but guess what? I got a word from God for you because you need some faith-filled friends who will come alongside you and they will have faith where you don't have faith. They will pray when you don't know what to pray. You need people, but you got to invite them in. They're not just going to show up at your door. You know, you, I've had people tell me before, come to church. I said, I didn't find any friends, Pastor. I said, I'm sorry. Well, you know, did you try to make friends? Well, what you see was, what had happened was, come on, we all know the greatest miracle Jesus ever did was the fact that he had 12 friends in his 30s. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Y'all know you don't have 12 friends, right? That's a miracle. Come on, friendship in adulthood is hard. Anybody else realize this? 
It's like college, you're like living with a roommate, so you're like, we got to be friends. But then you're a professional trying to navigate life, right? But listen, if you want friends, be friendly. If you want someone to be there for you in a hard time, be there for somebody else when they go through a hard time. You want someone to pray for you when you're struggling? Why don't you first pray for somebody else when they're struggling? You want someone to check on you and text you and call you? Why don't you first check on somebody else, call them, pray for them, encourage them? Listen, friends will not fall out of the sky into your lap. You got to work it. Can I tell you, one of my best friends right now, like a brother to me, our first year, we didn't immediately become best friends. I had to keep calling him. I had to keep texting him. And if you're watching maybe on the rebroadcast, you know who you are. Why didn't you text me back initially? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but listen, here, here's what you want. Have you realized this? When you become an adult, your life is busy. It's full. Relationships require work. But may I say this? Anything of value in life will cost you something. Do the work. Listen, if you come back and say, I didn't make any friends at church, I would say, well, how many groups did you join? Did you get on a team? Did you just come into church late and leave early or did you linger in the lobby? Listen, if you want to have friends, I'm not trying to say this to speak down to you. I know how hard it is. In fact, several years ago, the U.S. Surgeon General, the U.S. Surgeon General saw it was such an issue. He actually said in America there is a loneliness epidemic. And that was pre-global pandemic. Like, and they found that loneliness is worse for your health than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. You are not designed to go through life alone. That's why one of the big things we put a focus on here at Catalyst Church is relationship. That's why one of our values is we're better together. That's why we launched 23 groups in the middle of June. Because the way God designed it for your health, for your emotional health, is you cannot go through life alone. And for the history of your life, for the future of your life, you need faith-filled friends. All right, I'm stepping out of my soapbox. But now I'm going to get back on it. Okay, here we go. <laughs> he said, these, these men brought him to Jesus. Here's my question for you. Is it the friends you have right now? And answer honestly. Do they pull you closer to Jesus or push you away from Jesus? When you tell them about the problem in your marriage, do they say to you, well, I didn't think you should have married him in the first place. Or do they say, I'm going to pray and believe God for reconciliation? That when you stepped out and you followed the call of God and you changed jobs, but things are hard, do they tell you, you know what, I never thought you should have changed jobs anyway. Or do they say, you know what, I believe that God spoke to you. And I'm going to believe in faith that even though it's hard, I still believe it's God. And I'm here with you. Do you have people who are going to speak faith into you? Or are they going to call you to step back? And sometimes they have good intentions. They're just not full of faith. You know, I was, took my son Judah to his first D.C. United game two weeks ago. He's, he's super, he's really into soccer right now. He plays soccer fall and spring. And in the World Cup, he kind of fell in love with uh, Messi. And we kind of celebrated in the Burroughs household that he came, he's coming to the MLS. Um, but then we saw how much tickets are. And I said, son, 
you need to listen to my supernatural series and believe God for a miracle. Because messy just 10x ticket costs. Uh, it's like, what? They were 50 yesterday. Now they're 500. Uh, what just happened, Lord? Um, so we were, we were at a game and, and he was just mesmerized. It was cool to see his face. Just loved it. And it was 0 0. 42nd, 43rd minute. And if you've been to a, a United game, you know this. If not, I'll, I'll kind of give you context. There's a fan club section. And the entire game, they're like, they're like chanting and singing like different songs. It's pretty incredible. And most of the game, the majority of the stadium is not joining in. But it was like the 43rd minute. There's no goals. So everyone's kind of like, okay, we need something before the half. And one of the songs that they sing is, vamos, vamos united. Uh, anybody else been there? You heard that? No one. All right, one. Okay, there we go. You, you could have you joined me, okay. No, so all of a sudden, the entire crowd starts singing in, vamos, and we're clapping, vamos united, and the whole crowd is just cheering, and you can feel it. People are standing, and they scored a goal in the 44th minute right before the half. Whole place erupt. And here was my thought. If a group of a couple hundred people can fuel, follow me, the faith for a soccer team, how much more can the people of God fuel your faith in God? Fuel your faith for a miracle. Fuel your faith for a healing. Fuel your faith for what you're believing God for. You need to have friends around you who will fuel your faith. The Hebrew says this, uh, 3.13, encourage one another daily to give courage. Let me all say this. You need friends who will fuel your faith. And listen, and then be a friend who will fuel others' faith. Like, like, come with that encouraging word. Remind your friends of the call of God in their life. Offer to pray alongside your friends. And begin to see God move in their life. Be the kind of friend. And I'll say this, as you walk with God... In different seasons of life, God will continue to prompt you and lead you to take steps of faith. And again, there will be at times well-intentioned people. I'll speak, I'll speak honestly for a moment. There will be well-intentioned people that will sometimes say, you know, oh, man, you're going to change jobs? Or, hey, you're going to launch that business? Oh, hey, you're taking this step into marriage? And sometimes they're well-intentioned. But, but sometimes they'll speak from a place of comfort Rather than God's call on your life. And we have to be careful of the idol of comfort in our Western culture. Because sometimes we can even measure the blessing of God based upon how comfortable life is. And sometimes the call of God on your life might mean you make less money. It might mean you give up the pension to follow the call. And listen, sometimes God will call you and you need people to come alongside you to say, I believe God's call is greater than the comfort in your life. I believe that actually the greatest place you can be in your life is in the middle of God's will for your life. So make sure you're, when you're taking steps of faith, when you're stepping into marriage, when you're launching that business, when you're changing jobs, whatever it might be, that you're having people who are speaking words of faith, not pulling you back into what's comfortable. Here's point number two. So you got to have faith-filled friends. And then you got to stay curious in faith, not critical in spirit. 
So these teachers of the law were sitting by Jesus. And here's what's profound about this passage. These four young men and their friend who's paralyzed literally dig through the roof. And to give context, roofs were made of uh, clay and grass and mud and tile. So they're digging through. And what was fascinating was these men digging through the tile experienced the power of God. But these religious leaders sitting right next to Jesus did not. And here's why. Because a critical spirit will inhibit you from seeing the work of Christ. It's hard to receive from someone you're being critical of. It's hard, and here's how I found that sometimes the way the enemy will work in the life of a Christian over the course of time. Is he, he will convince you that somehow God has now placed you in the position of judge of other people. Of you are now the critic of other people. Because he knows once you become critical, you become blind to the work of God. Let me give you scripture. Matthew 7. Not my words, Jesus' words. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, but you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? I've never had a plank in my eye. But I can imagine you can't see. In other words, Jesus said, you are here being critical of your coworker, and you're blinded because you have a plank in your eye. That sometimes we can't sense the move of God at work because we're too critical of our coworker who got the promotion. And in our hearts, under how, why did they get the promotion? Why, why did they get that favor? We have a hard time hearing from God about our marriage because we're too critical of our spouse. We can have a hard time at times sensing God's spirit in the church if we're being too critical of what's around us. These men, right next to Jesus, but they were too critical. They were being judgmental, and they actually missed on what God had for them. We cannot see the activity of God when we're critical of it. And let me just say this. I would rather be foolishly curious and dig through a roof and experience the touch of God than to sit there and act like I'm self-righteous and that I know more and I'm a critic and miss the very power of God that I'm right in the presence of. You can be in the presence of God and miss the power of God because you put yourself in the position of judge that God never put you in. So humble yourself. Because, listen, it's not about you. It's about God and what he wants to do in your life and through your life. And then he says to this man when he gets healed, he's walking now. He says, get up, take your mat, and go home. I've got a mat here this morning. It's a yoga mat. I don't know if he had a yoga mat. Uh, I don't think it was. But I do know this from my research is that it was a, it was a thin mat. Uh, that's the mat, that word there in the Greek refers to a thinner mat, which would have been common for somebody who was experiencing financial poverty. So this man was not only physically paralyzed, which was believed to be the result of his own sin in that culture, but then he was also financially impoverished. So he was socially outcasted. And here he is on this mat. His whole life had been paralyzed. 
And Jesus heals him. And Jesus said, hey, 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 before you go, take your mat and go home. Now, if I was that man, I said, Jesus, I'm going to take that mat. I'm going to burn it. (laughs) I've lied on that mat my whole life. Jesus, I'm about to walk for 72 days straight. Come on, somebody. Like like paralyzed and now walking. The last thing you want to do is carry around the mat that is symbolic of your suffering and your pain. Here's what Jesus knew. This man would not be paralyzed again, but he would be in pain again. And the mat is a reminder that we serve a miracle-working God. That even though he can now walk, Jesus knew, but in the future you'll need a miracle in your marriage. And because you took your mat home, because you set it there in the living room, you'll be reminded in the same way he performed a miracle when I was paralyzed, he'll do a miracle now. Some of you need to remember the mat on which you used to lie on. One of the most powerful things you can do for your faith is to remember the faithfulness of God. Remember how he saved you. Remember how broken you were. Remember how lost you were. Remember when your aunt was sick and he healed her. Remember when your marriage was struggling and God strengthened it. Remember when you didn't have that job and you prayed for it and now you're in that job. And you got to remember, listen, the enemy would love for you to have a short-term memory. Because if you'll forget, listen... Sometimes we lack faith because it's been too long since we've thanked God for what he's done. When's the last time you just thanked him? You you didn't come to him saying, oh, God, I need this. Oh, God. You just say, God, thank you that there's breath in my lungs. Thank you I get to get up tomorrow morning and get those kids ready and go to that job. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for strengthening my marriage. Thank you for this church. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my spouse. I'm telling you, if you begin to add gratitude before you ask God for anything, you thank him for what he's done, watch how you will have enough faith to kick the devil in the face. And you will say, man, my God saved me from my brokenness so he can heal this circumstance. God strengthened my marriage so he can strengthen me in this situation at work. That's why all throughout the New Testament, when you read it, God's constantly like, remember, remember, and remember, and remember, and remember, and remember, and remember, and remember. Because he knew if you would just remember, if you remember his faithfulness. Maybe you're saying, Pastor, I'm new to Christ. I don't have a history. Well, remember. Well, we all have a history. The word of God. Remember he's the God who opened the Red Sea. Remember he's the God who clothed the mouth of lions. Remember he's the God who saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through the fire. Remember he's the God who raised Lazarus from the grave. Remember he's the God who opened the eyes of blind Bartimaeus. Remember he's the God who saved your soul. It'll increase your faith. I wonder if as well when he took up that mat, the Bible says everyone was amazed. And imagine if you know, he's walking home and he, uh, people start seeing this man who once was lame walking. And I wonder if his mat reminded people that God is a miracle working God. 
You know, my daughter Hannah, this week, we were at our dinner table after school, and she was remembering, uh, we, as I mentioned last week, we're planning on a Disney trip later this year, and she was remembering all of the experiences she had, remembering Peter Pan ride, and remembering seeing the characters, and as she's doing this herself, she's getting excited. Remember, when you remember, it increases your anticipation. But then, my, my daughter Abigail, who's four years old, never been to Disney, she's there. She just starts telling Abigail, Abigail, like, wait till you go on the Winnie the Pooh ride. She starts telling her the Winnie the Pooh ride in detail. She's like, Abigail, and you're going to meet Minnie. And Abby's like all about Minnie. So Abigail's like lighting up. And then like, you know, Hannah's even like telling her things that like she's on it. She like, she wouldn't enjoy, but they're still, she's like, and Abigail, wait till you see the Star Wars world. And like, and I'm like, okay, you know. <laughs> but Abigail's just getting excited and more excited and more excited. Here's why, watch this. Abigail has never been to Disney. But Hannah sharing her story about Disney is increasing Abigail's anticipation of Disney. When you share how God healed your marriage to your coworker, it gives them faith for God to heal their marriage. When you share how the Holy Spirit comforted you in your grief, it gives someone else faith that God can comfort them in their grief. When you begin to share what God's done in your life, it gives people faith who maybe they have not seen it, but because you have, they now can believe it. Because you're a walking testimony of the grace and the goodness of God. We have to share what God's doing. Listen, your mat gives other people's faith for a miracle. So we need faith-filled friends. And we got to stay curious. That's so important. You got to guard against a critical spirit. You got to remember what God's done. You got to share stories of God's faithfulness. One of the most powerful things, I'll even say this, as, as we enter into our summer groups, even for group leaders, hey, you can even start by cultivate sharing stories. There's been so many times in my own life, hearing somebody else's testimony has inspired my faith. You never know by you sharing your story what it will do to somebody else who's around you. Here's point three, and we're going to land here, is that we have to have an uncomfortable faith that leads to impossible miracles. So they went to Capernaum in the house of Jesus. They went to where God is. They could have gone anywhere, but these men were like, we're going to go to where we know that Jesus is. And, and let me just say this. If we want to see a move of God, we need to go to God. And here's what I mean by that. If you want a word from God, go to the word of God. <laughs> if you want to experience the power of God, go to God in prayer. You want to experience the presence of God, come into the house of God, i.e. the Bethesda Hotel that we make the house of God every Sunday. Come on, somebody. Some of you are like, I didn't know we could have church in the hotel. We can. And if you're feeling a little tired, you just go ahead and get a room. And <laughs> now, we ain't covering that, Okay. But you need to go. And let, let me say this. It's, it's summertime. And I know you have, you have weddings and 
kids have camps and vacations. This is important. I thought I'd write this down. In the midst of all your vacationing, don't take a vacation from God. I know your schedule will look different this summer. But make sure God's still first. Because summer is not a time, maybe it's a time to maybe pull back a little bit on some things. But it's not a time to pull back on your relationship with God. In fact, and let me say this. If you're like me, your life is full. You probably don't have room in your schedule always for God. But watch this. So you have to make room. You know, anything you want in life, you make room for. Anything. Anything you want in life, you make room in the budget for. Are you making room for God this summer? So let me get real practical and a little bit in your business. Is you, you go ahead and you, you got this summer calendar. You got your summer group. So go ahead when you join a group. You go ahead and you look online and you put the events of that group into your calendar. That's how you make room. As you say, I'm not going to go if it works out. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you, you, you go ahead. I did this for years. Now it's habit. But for years, I put, I put time with God literally in my Google calendar every morning. Because I didn't want anything to get in that way. I'm like, God, I'm making room for you. Like, put it in your calendar. This, I'm putting God first. If we want to experience a move of God, we have to make room for God. Genesis 26 the scripture will initially appear a little bit out of context, but I'm going to give it context. Genesis 26, Israel is experiencing a famine and a drought. And Isaac goes to the Lord and says to, you know, basically seeking God for counsel. And he says to Isaac, to reopen the wells of your father Abraham. So Isaac, the Bible says in verse 18, reopened the wells that had been dug. In the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. He gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. Why is that relevant? Because it's summer and we all need water. Okay? No, I'm just kidding. Because water is symbolic for the Holy Spirit all throughout the scriptures. What did Jesus say? He says, I have a living water. So when we see the water in Scripture, there's a symbolism for the Spirit of God. And let me say this for some of you, especially you've been walking with God for maybe some months, years, maybe some of you even decades. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we can begin to become spiritually dry. I remember a few years ago, I felt a little bit dry, in all honesty. And I remember this kind of seeking, I mean, I was still, I was praying every day. I was reading scripture. And as I, as, I, as, I, as I sought the Lord, I felt like God told me that I needed to redig the well of worship in my life privately. That when I first came to God, I used to have worship moments privately, just like me and the Lord. Like I put on some music, and I just worshiped. And I can recall so many times in my life where God has spoken to me. God's given me vision. God's given me direction and worship. And I kind of walked away from that. And I was feeling parched in my spirit, in my soul. So what did I do? My, my life looked differently because when I first came to Christ, I didn't have three kids. I wasn't leading a church. But, but I, I redug the well of worship in my life. And I began to reintroduce worship moments 
into my life. And it began to, to quench my thirsty soul. I'm going to give you three wells. These are not profound, but I'm telling you, I want you to do a self-assessment. Where perhaps do you need to re-dig up some wells? You need, to, you need to go back. The first well to dig up is the well of prayer. Maybe some of you are here, if you're honest, your prayer life in recent months has lacked some power. I've been there. It's routine. Maybe you have your list. Maybe you just kind of talk to God what you're feeling about. But if you are honest, most of the things you're asking God for, I'll put it this way. When's the last time you were asking God to do things that if he didn't show up, it wouldn't happen? Because sometimes we're not careful. Our prayer list can look like a to-do list. But if you really tried hard enough, you could do yourself. And you can ask God for that. But when's the last time your prayer list was full of things that, God, if you don't do this, it ain't going to happen. And, God, if this happens, everyone will know it was you. God, even recently for me, just kind of re-inspired me, Jeremy, believe again. This is for some of you. You need to believe again. Maybe you've lost some faith in your career over some things, some disappointments. You need to believe again. Some of you, maybe you have a loved one or yourself and struggling with an illness. I feel like today, the Holy Spirit's word for you is to believe again. To pray for the impossible. And can I tell you, God responds to our persistent prayers. The scripture's clear. It's all about it. Perseverance, persistence, steadfastness, devotion. What that means is you do it even when you don't feel like it. And you do it and you don't give up. You get up tomorrow, you believe again. You get up on Tuesday, you believe again. You get up on Wednesday, you believe again. Six weeks later, you keep believing. Six months later, you keep believing. Seven years later, you keep believing. What did Jesus say? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door. Keep knocking on the door of heaven. Well, the enemy would love for you to give up. Go back to point one. That's where you have faithful friends. Maybe you're fatigued today. You need to get in a group around some faithful friends who can say, hey, I'm believing God for you. I'm going to come alongside you. Let's pray big, bold prayers. Can I tell you, listen. God is never overwhelmed by the boldness of your prayers. Quite the opposite. He's actually honored because it means you believe him. You believe he can do things. The Bible says what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard. The goodness that God has in store for those who love him. Prayer. Some of you need to redig the well of scripture. Maybe you were... Start of the year strong in your one-year Bible reading plan. But then you hit Leviticus. <laughs> and you said, what am I believing? <sighs> and maybe, I, I talked to somebody recently about this, and they even felt like some condemnation. Can I just help somebody else out? God is not mad at you for missing days or even weeks of reading your Bible. He's not. And just go ahead and skip Leviticus, okay? Come back to it next year, maybe. But go ahead and hit up First and Second Samuel or wherever you might be. Go ahead and hit Romans. Read the Gospels. You got to read, pick up Scripture. Some of you used to study the Word like a person studying for the MCATs. Hey, pick it up again. 
do it again. Have a passion for the word. A love for the word. Then last well is worship. Is worship. Pick up that well of worship. Maybe some of you, maybe you, you were a passionate worshiper. And maybe you just kind of lost some of that. Man, man, I say, God, help me revive that in my heart once again. Do the things you did before to see a move of God in your life. And then these men, okay, and I'm going to close with this, because they, they, they dig through the roof. And they, in Mark 2, 4. And everybody else was standing outside the house. It was a small house back then, about 18 feet in length. It was a very small home they built. So most of the people are outside. And the way homes were structured, there were the stairs outside that led to the top of the roof. So these guys were like, we're not going to wait outside. We're going to go in. And it was common in that day for you to walk on the roof. Roofs were built pretty sturdy. You could walk all, all over them. And it was common. But it wasn't common to dig through a roof. That was different. But here's what these men knew. In order for us to experience what we've never experienced, we're going to have to do what we've never done. We're going to have to do what nobody else is doing around here. And we need to get to Jesus. Remember I told you, he said he saw their faith. Faith is visible. And faith often comes across like someone willing to do something uncomfortable. Willing to do something sacrificial in order to see God move in their life. Joshua 1.9, the Joshua was leading the Israelites to do something uncomfortable. They were going to step into the waters of the Jordan at flood stage. Not something you would do on a normal day. But God said he would part the Jordan River and he did. But they had to be willing to do something uncomfortable. May I say sacrificial in order to see God move in their life. And I think so often we can lose sight in believing God. And what I've noticed in my own life and I see in the scriptures that oftentimes when we want to see a profound move of God. And I believe you're here today or you're watching online because you do. But a lot of times what we see in the scriptures, what I've seen in my own life, is sacrificial faith is the seed of the miraculous. It's you being willing to give up something for the sake of seeing God move in your life. I'm not saying it's easy. But I would say at some points in your life, it is necessary. Remember in 2019, we were a few months into the church launch. And we had just had our first Easter and things were going well. And, and we were kind of trying to catch our footing as a church. And some of you were here back then. And um, we, Christina and I began to feel and sense that God was calling her. We, we launched the church. I want to give context. She was working in business world. And here's, here's why. Because when we launched a church, I didn't know if I'd have any kind of salary at all. So she kept working. And then benefits. She had all of our benefits. So we launched the church. You know, as a church, we didn't have any kind of benefits or anything like that. Um, and about a few months in, we really felt like God was stirring us. That it was like time for her 
step away. We knew the time would eventually come, but we didn't think it was going to be as soon. For her to step away from her work and to uh, come and serve with the church alongside me, like as a volunteer, not paid, because we didn't have that money back then as a church. And initially when we felt it, we were like, no, 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 this can't be God because... Like, that's our health insurance, right? You need to have, we had three kids under five, too. Wasn't like it was her and I. We were like, God, I don't think you heard, I don't think we heard you because we got three kids under five. The pediatricians, they like insurance. <laughs> Wouldn't leave us. So we knew it was the Lord. She stepped away. She was the large majority of our income, way more than half of our income, because I, I wasn't making much. And but we knew it was God. And we had to go on some kind of health share, share plan or something. First time, we, I, first time in my life I never had insurance. I didn't have any kind of insurance. Uh, but we felt it was God. And that was about seven months or eight months like that. Um, where, and we, we just went through all of our savings. All of it. We had saved all this money leading up to the church because we knew we were planting a church. And Was it easy. In fact, I dragged my feet. For, we dragged our feet. I was disobedient for a while. I was. I was like, I don't, th- I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. It was very hard. Was it uncomfortable? Yes. Watching your savings decrease at a pretty fast rate is very uncomfortable. Would I do it again? Absolutely. Because you know why? There is no peace like the peace of God being in the middle of the will of God. Watch this. This isn't about Jeremy and Christine. This is about, this is about the Lord. And it was when we sacrificed salary and benefits that I realized in a very real way, he is Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider, not my employer, not her employer. And God will often te- call you to take sacrificial steps of faith. It may not look like what we did, but it will look like something. Because in that moment where you lay down something that perhaps, if you were honest, has a part of your heart. Maybe it's your salary. Maybe it's the benefits. Maybe it's the comfort of a job. Maybe it's the comfort of not having kids right now. Maybe it's the comfort of your house. Maybe it's a comfort of your pension, whatever it might be, God at times will call you to lay that down. And can I tell you, already right now, say yes in your heart because there is no peace like the peace of God and the will of God. And you will realize he is Jehovah Jireh. You will realize he is your provider. You will realize he is the Lord. And when you lay down the natural comforts for the sake of serving Christ, you realize he is who this word says he is. And I want you to live a life of the supernatural, but I'm telling you, it will, it will, it will require sacrifice. But it's worth it. Every time. Twice on Sunday. Every time. So my challenge for you today, it's a strong one, because I love you. I'm a pastor, and I lead you in the will of God. I'm not here to lead you into comfort pastures. I'm lead you to heed the call of God on your life. Because we are a part of a kingdom that we cannot see, but it's far better than anything we can see. 
There is a peace he can give you that no amount of money in your 401k, no amount of size of your house, no amount of car paid off, no amount of education, no amount of success can ever give. And that is what I want you to fully experience in your life. So here's my question. Is what step, maybe you got to ask God this week, God, what step of faith are you asking me to take? And, and that's between you and God. It's between you and God. But here's what I want to tell you. I know this. If you are following Jesus, following in Jesus implies you're taking steps. And there will come times where that step will feel very sacrificial. It will feel even irrational at times. It will feel countercultural. But as someone who loves you dearly, it's worth it every time. Because the Bible is true. And it says he is good. And what he does is good. He's a good God who wants to do supernatural things in your life. Do you believe it, church? Can you bow your heads with me?